0: charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.
1: Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 Exchanges
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer. Today, we are going to be trying something a little bit new. For the first part of our show, we have Clay Fink joining us, who is the host of the Millennial Investing Podcast and is an expert on the stock market. And he's going to teach us and inform us about what is going on in the stock market right now. And I know, listen, I work for Bigger Pockets. I get that most of the people listening to this are active or aspiring real estate investors, but it is really important for real estate investors and investors of all type to understand what is going on in different asset classes. Because as Clay is going to explain to all of us today, you will see that there are correlations and that these asset classes, although they're different, are really interrelated and a lot of the same principles about investing apply. During the second half of the show, Kathy, James, and Henry joined me to break down what we learned from Clay and talk about how real estate investors should use the information that we learn and how to use the stock market to further your real estate investing career. I think you're all going to enjoy this new format, but if you have any feedback, thoughts about how we can prove, please make sure to let me know. You can hit me up on Instagram where I'm at the data deli, or you can always find me on Bigger Pockets. With that, we're going to take a short break and then jump into our interview with Clay Fink from the Millennial Investing Podcast. Clay Fink, welcome to the On The Market Podcast. Thanks so much for being here.
3: David, so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. So before we jump into what's going on in the stock market, can you give our audience a little bit of background about you and how you got into being such an expert on the stock market?
3: Yeah. So growing up, you know, I was always pretty good at math. Math was kind of my thing and never really knew anything about investing growing up. I wish I learned about it sooner, but we all uh, go on our own journey and figure it out one way or another. And, you know, never really talked about money growing up, but when I was 18 or 19, I read this biography of Warren Buffett. Since I'm from Nebraska, I was pretty familiar with Buffett. I was like, how in the world did this guy become one of the richest people on the planet? And, you know, I was reading about this idea of investing and I'm just like, why is no one talking about this? So I just wanted to learn as much as I could about investing. And that's how I discovered. The Investors Podcast Network. You know, Stig and Preston started that that uh, podcast back in 2014, and it was just very clear to me that um, they really knew what they were talking about. They were founded on studying Warren Buffett, and you know, I just loved learning about it, learning about the markets, and just love this idea of having your money work for you. And you know, it's been said that um, the stock market is you know, the most powerful wealth building machine that's out there. Some of your listeners might not agree with that. I know many people have become millionaires investing in real estate as well. You know, both methods work very well. Um, and one of our hosts, actually, Robert Leonard, he's my co-host on our Millennial Investing Show. He actually, you know, provides these like Buffett type principles to the real estate market where he invests in what he knows. He You know, invest in you know high probability type events where he can get high cash flow and you know has a high level of certainty. So he's kind of taken that. The idea he, the idea is he's learned from the stock market and applied it to real estate. So um, I went on to college and kind of went the traditional corporate path. I worked in insurance for a few years and uh, TIP had an opening for a host on their millennial investing show, and I was like. Heck, I'll just throw my hat in the ring. Didn't really expect to uh, end up getting it. But here we are speaking today. I'm about, you know, coming up on a year for being a host for the show and, you know, just having the time of my life talking with some really good investors every week. Um, it's a lot of fun.
0: Good for you. That That's an awesome story. I really enjoyed hearing that. And I do think that our audience would probably debate on the stock market versus Uh, real estate. But personally, I believe that it doesn't have to be either or that these things are supplementary. And that's the whole reason why we wanted to have you on to talk about how you can build wealth and even put passive income through the stock market, which we'll get to in a minute. But I'd like to start just by addressing the elephant in the room, which is the stock market's recent performance, at least over the over 2022 has been a Fairly significant decline. So, could you give us a summary of where the market is today and maybe provide some historical context about the era we're in right now? Absolutely. So, I just checked prior to this recording.
3: The SP 500 is down roughly 20% year to date. Um, a lot of investors are probably pretty spooked. And, you know, really what's been driving the markets, you know, from our view, over the past few years is really driven by what the Federal Reserve is doing. And this is where it kind of goes over people's heads, but I'm going to try and simplify things as much as I can here. Um, So the Federal Reserve, you know, just really has its hands in the overall financial markets. If you just simply plot the money supply or the assets on the Fed's balance sheet and you plot that against the S&P 500, which is just the general stock market trend, those are very highly correlated. So if the Federal Reserve is printing more money, we're seeing the prices of financial assets like the stock market go up. And when they stop printing money or they kind of taper things down or normalize, then you see the stock market kind of throw a fit and kind of pull back. And right now we're kind of seeing that time where the Federal Reserve isn't being as accommodative to the markets and we're seeing the market pull back and it's, you know, it's not the first time we've seen this. Around March 2020, we had the COVID pandemic hit and you know, financial markets were kind of in a mess. You know, we saw a really sharp drawdown in stocks in March 2020 and the Federal Reserve was very accommodative during that time period because they really needed to be to prevent you know, a global recession like 2008. So, you know, they were accommodative to the financial markets. They printed more money. They handed out these stimulus checks and these PPP loans. And the Fed said that inflation wouldn't really be a problem. Well, it ended up being a huge problem. And that's where we're at today. You have inflation running at, call it 8%. And the bond market, which is, you know, a bond is really just a contract. you know, you put down $1,000 today and you might get some sort of yield on that until the bond's maturity and get your $1,000 back. So if bonds are yielding 3%, you know, you lock in a contract to get a 3% yield, but inflation's 8%, then that's not really a good deal because you're losing purchasing power. So that just really throws the markets in uh, for a loop. And once the Fed realized that inflation wasn't really transitory, it, was kind of, it looked like it was going to stick around, um, that's when they decided they wanted to contract the economy and try and not be as accommodative. And again, that's why we're seeing you know, things pull back. So if you, to put it really simply, the Fed's either expanding the money supply or they're contracting the money supply. Uh, since March 2020, they were really just expanding it, and we saw asset prices explode. The stocks go up, uh, real estate as well is kind of correlated with that, so real estate markets went up as well. And interest rates play into it um, too, because the Fed has influence on where interest rates are set. So right now, the Fed isn't you know expanding or you know providing that easing; they're doing the opposite. So. Um, the money supply is contracting a bit. They're taking some money out of the system. So it's natural to think that the prices of those financial assets that were influenced by the expanding the expansion of the money supply is now seeing the opposite. Um, and I guess I'll also mention that if you look back at history, you look at, like I mentioned, March 2020, when the Fed needs to be accommodative to the markets, they will. So it's my expectation that eventually things are likely to break down. So we're going to see some sort of um, breakdown in the economy. I don't know where exactly it's going to be. Um, And once the Fed recognizes that um, liquidity needs to be added to the system, they need to provide more money to um, help fill the gap somewhere it's needed, um, they're going to do that. They did that in March 2020. Um, The repo market, which we don't have to dig into, it's essentially kind of the plumbing of the financial system that that had liquidity issues in September 2019. And, you know, they stepped in and provided liquidity there because that's really their job. They're the lender of last resort They're the banks for banks. And since our economy is largely driven by credit and all these loans out there, a lot of the money out there is just loans given out by a bank um, you can run into issues when, um, when there's liquidity issues, especially with these larger institutions.
0: Thank you for that. That's that's super helpful. So it sounds like similar to the real estate market, we're just seeing that the fed was being very supportive to the economy. And in particular, when, monetary supply is increased, you see asset values go up that happened in real estate that happened in the stock market. And now that the Fed is changing course, we are seeing that reverse in the stock market. Now, it's not reversing yet in the housing market. We've talked a lot about it on the show, so we're not going to get into that here. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is that perhaps until you know the Fed's raising rates until inflation goes down or until economic activity declines to the point where they're like, okay, we can live with a little bit of inflation, but we have to add monetary supply to make sure this recession that we are likely in or going into doesn't get too deep and too serious. And if that's the case, do you expect the stock market to sort of be in a bear market or remain relatively flat until the fed again changes course and starts adding liquidity in the market by lowering rates.
3: Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, um, we could definitely see more downside, you know, given that the fed is taking money out of the system and they're raising interest rates. And we can talk about that relationship if you'd like, but yeah, I expect, you know, I wouldn't, I guess I shouldn't say I expect, I wouldn't be surprised to see a more downside from here. Um, the Fed you know, is really trying to tackle the inflation problem. They don't really mind or care if people's stocks are going down now because they really need to get a grip on inflation. But like you said, they're going to try and tighten as much as they can until something breaks in the economy. So...
0: That's just a terrifying statement, right? I just like I keep hearing people say that it's like they're going to tighten until something breaks. Like that, that I can't believe that we're our economy is basically like inflation or breaking right now. Those are the two options. It seems like
3: right. Well, the in two thousand eight, they uh, started their quantitative easing program. They printed over a trillion dollars, so they turned on that spigot and you know, we've come to find out over the last call it 14 years that it's really, really hard for them to turn that spigot off. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's just the reality of the situation and the way I see it. So, you know, yeah, I could see, you know, more downside for, you know, any, any financial asset market. It could be real estate, stocks, crypto or whatever. Um, but I do expect once they do you know, reverse course, um, we'll see a strong rebound in the stock market for sure.
0: Yeah. That, that. I mean, everything you're saying makes a lot of sense logically. So we're seeing the market, the stock market on a whole has a lot of interest rate sensitivity. Are there certain segments of stocks or certain types of stocks that do better or worse in this type of rising interest rate environment? Yeah. So from a high level,
3: I would say the Valuation of stocks, you know, is really driven by kind of two things currently. You know, I talked about the money supply and how that has an effect on the stock market and how those are really correlated. But the other um, factor, major driving factor, is interest rates. Um, the value of really any asset is based on the discounted future cash flows. So, if you're a real estate investor, say you have a you know, call it a property that's a hundred thousand dollars. Um, that might be the price someone's offering it to you. You can look at, okay, what's that going to produce per month or per year and kind of project that out. And you using those cash flows, you can come, come up with some sort of reasonable or conservative value, what you would pay for that property. So it's the same idea for the stock market. Um, in terms of which types of stocks are hurt more by higher interest rates, um, it's pretty obvious just looking at the past performance of some stocks um, in the low rate environment we saw in 2020 and 2021. The quote-unquote growth names are the ones that tend to do really well in that environment. So the companies that are invested in that grow at 100% per year don't really have much earnings today. They may in the future. Um, companies like Tesla, growing very fast, don't don't really have too much for earnings today. Very. Very fast-growing companies do well in a low-rate environment, and when you kind of look at it through the discounted cash flow lens, that makes sense because they have earnings really far out into the future. Tesla has earnings, you know, they may have a lot of earnings in ten years. When you discount that at two percent, um, that really doesn't bring down those earnings too much. But if you discount it at six percent or eight percent, you know, that really hurts the value of Tesla today. So that's why you've seen the higher growth companies get hurt more. And then you look at, you know, say a stable um, company that isn't growing near as fast. You can call that a value stock. Um, I'll just pull a company like Costco. You know, it's a very stable company. They have strong cash flows. And, you know, it's very reasonable to think that those cash flows are going to continue to grow over time well, Costco isn't down near as much as many of these other growth names because of, you know, the way it's valued and also how the market kind of perceives, um, the riskiness in that sort of company. So, yeah, I guess the big takeaway here is that the value of stocks are really driven by, you know, federal reserve policy for sure. And then also interest rates as well. So, um, a big question might be where are interest rates going to go in the future? You have some people saying that we're going to see higher rates because of the high inflation. Um, I would maybe push back on that because the Fed wants to maybe be accommodative in the future. So that would mean they would need to lower rates to stimulate the economy. Um, but in terms of my strategy, you know, I just look to try and buy and hold really good companies or just simply index funds. And we can dig into that um, if you'd like as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great segue because I do want to talk about our to our audience who is mostly real estate investors, aspiring investors. But I would imagine that the vast majority of people listening are also interested in investing in the stock market. And even if you're not, understanding the stock market is vitally important because what happens in one major asset class like the stock market, or you referenced the bond market earlier has a huge implication on what happens in the real estate market and vice versa. Because people, investors are always chasing yield. They're chasing the best opportunity. And so if some asset classes are performing poorly and other ones are doing well, you could see money going from the stock market or crypto into real estate or vice versa. So even if you're not interested in investing, super important to understand this. But I do want to talk about if there are opportunities right now, because I am a complete novice, but I look at the stock market and... I'm fortunate because I'm not trying to retire anytime soon. And so, although I don't like seeing my portfolio go down, I have confidence that it will go back up um, in in the future. And I'm looking at some of these stocks, I'm like, ooh, it's a sale. You know, like there's all this stuff discounted. Is that a stupid way to look at it? Or are there actually opportunities right now?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can find opportunities out there. Um, I guess zooming out a bit, TIP was really founded on studying Warren Buffett's value investing principles. So we are looking to pay a fair price for the investments we have. Um, For those who aren't familiar with Buffett, you know, he's really looking for businesses that are really easy to understand, um, companies that have a strong moat or competitive advantage. So, you know, their earnings are expected to continue far into the future, And, you know, he's looking for a company that's trading at a price that's attractive to him. And then it's also companies that are growing and have stable earnings and have good management. So, you know, I do have like a list, um, like a watch list of stocks that I'm kind of keeping my eye on. And we have a tool here at TIP. There are a lot of stock investing tools, but TIP has one called TIP Finance that I use to kind of... determine an expected return I can get on a stock. So I could punch in, okay, what's the stock going to earn maybe next year? What do I expect those earnings to grow at? And then, you know, essentially there's a calculator that says, you know, if you, if you bought the stock today, you would get this return. So that's, you know, kind of my process for how I'm looking at stocks. Um, At any point in time, you might have, you know, good opportunities. It's just depending on what sort of yield or rate of return you're looking to get you know, the stock might be, Apple might be trading at $150 today. Say I could punch it in the calculator. Say I come up with a, call it a six or 8% expected return. Obviously the price could go even lower, but that pushes my expected return even higher. So when you find those companies that you want to own for the long-term and those they're really good businesses and, you know, they aren't materially affected by these short-term swings in the market, then you can treat any dip as a buying opportunity, given you know you're applying those strict principles and buying those really good businesses. Outside of that, I'm really I'm always dollar cost averaging into index funds. I specifically do VOO and QQQ. Uh, VOO is just an S and P 500 fund, which is just the general stock market, and then QQQ is just a technology
0: ETF, which which is like the Nasdaq. So it's many of the big tech companies. I love the idea of dollar cost averaging. It's actually something I do both in the stock market, still doing it now, buying in at a regular interval. I do it with real estate as well. But could you just explain to our audience what dollar cost averaging is?
3: Yeah. So dollar cost averaging is essentially taking the timing out of the market completely. So say you get paid from your job every two weeks on Friday, you can set up, say with Vanguard, you can set up an automatic purchase of, say, an index fund like VOO. So I can, you know, set up on Vanguard every two weeks, the day I get paid, I'm going to put this much into the ETF. Um, there's a ton of benefits to this. You know, you're taking timing and the emotions completely out of it. You know, if you just let the money kind of pile up in your bank account, you might try and buy when things are really hot, so you're buying really high, which you know, which is not a good thing, obviously. And then when things dump down to the drain. Um, you might be trying to sell, so it really just automates your whole process, and you know takes the human emotions out of it. So I think both of those are really key. And you mentioned the real estate. You know, I hear so many people saying that, oh, I don't want to get into real estate because the market's going to crash or whatever. Well, you know, eventually it might crash. Eventually, you know, it's crashed, you know, occasionally in the past. But um, if you apply that dollar cost averaging strategy, say over, say you buy one or two properties a year for five years, maybe you have one bad year, but all the other years are going to more than make up for that. So that's kind of how I think about it in terms of real estate. And I think dollar cost averaging is a really good strategy for a real estate investor as well.
0: Totally. It it makes so so much sense. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who spends half of my life analyzing the housing market and data and what's going on there. And I think I know what might happen in the housing market, but no one knows for sure. And I, I imagine you probably feel similarly about the stock market. You are informed, educated, have good opinions and logical thoughts, but things happen that you can't foresee. And you know, I the, I think the the dollar cost averaging is so great because it's just the humble approach. It's just admitting that you don't know what is going to happen in the market, but. What you do know is that over time, asset asset markets, both the stock market and real estate market, go up. And if you could just attach yourself to the average over time, you are going to have tremendous benefit to your financial situation. So thank you for explaining that. That's something I really like. Um, one specific part of the stock market I wanted to ask you about was dividend stocks, because a lot of people uh, who listen to this and myself included get into real estate because they're interested in financial independence and the fire movement and that is centered a lot around cash flow and that's why a lot of people love real estate so much is because it offers cash flow in addition to appreciation and tax benefits and all the rest but what you know div- to me dividend stocks are sort of the equivalent in the of a, of a cash flowing house in the stock market. So I'm curious if you could just first tell our audience what a dividend stock is and is now a good time to look at any particular dividend stocks? Yeah, well, I uh,
3: I wanted to say to your point earlier how, you know, people look at the real estate market or look at the stock market and they just see all this risk. You know, the market could crash this year. Well, What's your alternative just like hold cash your whole entire life? Well, you have to look at, you know, <laughs> what are the opportunity costs? What's, you know, what's what are you going to do if you don't invest in real estate or don't invest in stocks? You know, holding cash is like a guaranteed losing strategy. So, like you said, dollar cost averaging helps reduce that risk in the market and then having that long-term approach also almost eliminates your risk, you know, holding buying and holding quality real estate or quality companies and holding them for a very long time you know, takes that risk out of it. So having the right mindset and just being educated on why you're buying what you are, um, I think is really powerful. In terms of dividend stocks, um, so companies essentially earn money, earn profits, and they can do two things really, I guess, three things with that money. They could either pay out those earnings as a dividend. So if you own Coca-Cola stock and they pay out a dollar per share in dividends, then the shareholders get um, that dividend. Other things the company could do with those earnings is either buy back shares. So many companies do this. Apple is one that um, is very popular for doing this and has led to the stock um, performance doing very well. So they can take some of those earnings and buy back the shares. That makes the existing shareholders own more of the business. Um, Buffett's a huge fan of share buybacks. And the third thing a company can do with their earnings is just simply reinvest back into the business. And you know, different strategies are good for different companies. A company that's more in growth mode, say like Tesla, they do not want to pay a dividend because they have all these opportunities in the market in terms of electric vehicles and reinvesting back into the business. And essentially, they believe they can get a high rate of return on their money should they just reinvest back into the business and you know go out and produce more cars or do whatever Elon thinks is best. Well, a company like Coca-Cola is a whole lot more mature. So they're going to want to reward shareholders for owning their stock and pay a dividend. So that's the reason dividends even exists in the first place. For you know, someone who's newer to investing, I think index funds are a really good place to start for dividends. I'm going to mention two here. One is VYM, which is a Vanguard high dividend ETF. I think it's a really good option. They pay a dividend quarterly, which is every three months. So you get four dividend payments per year and at the time of this recording the yields about 2.7%. So every $100 you put in you'd get around $2.70 in that first year um, based on what the dividend performance has been over the you know over the last 12 months and it looks like the stock price right now is around $100 actually and i did add up the Dividends over the last twelve months, and it was actually three dollars and twenty cents. And and just to try and look at, okay, how has that changed over time? The dividend five years ago was two dollars and thirty cents. So the dividend itself has increased by forty percent over time, meaning that those companies' earnings have grown over time. They've decided to, um, you know, grow those, increase those dividends over time. So a lot of these really good companies that pay dividends are going to increase the dividend rate at least by call it 5%, you know, like at least the the rate of inflation is what I would expect. And another option you could or newer investors might consider is VIG. This one is geared more towards dividend appreciation. It's another Vanguard ETF. And the yield on this one's about 1.7% 1. and their uh, dividend uh per share has grown even more than that 40% for VYM. And Outside of that, investors, you know, might consider individual stocks. Um, to get a start, you could just look at the holdings of these index funds to get ideas. And some companies that stand out to me are Home Depot, Walmart, Microsoft, and Lockheed Martin. Some of these might pay a dividend higher or lower than um, <clears throat> these index funds, but. Uh, I I just wanted to run a few rules of thumb I have when it comes to picking uh, dividend stocks. Number one would be, do not chase a yield. If a stock has a yield of over 5% in today's market, that is a huge red flag to me. So many people I see got suckered into buying AT&T. It had a 6% dividend yield at 30 bucks a share. And, you know, people were thinking that there was no risk buying this company They was paid an incredible dividend. It'll be around forever. Well, they ended up cutting their dividends substantially. And now the stock's trading at around $21 per share. So when the dividend yield is $5 or 5% or more, that's the market's way of telling me that this is probably not a great stock to hold. And it's probably a lot riskier than you might think. Um, then again, with when it comes to dividend investing, you'll, you want to be in it for the long haul. So it's probably not the best place to park cash that you need within the next year or two. Um, dividends probably aren't, dividend stocks probably aren't your best bet for short-term cash. And then, um, if it were me, I'd again, try and stick to Buffett's principles, companies that are easy to understand. They have a strong moat and competitive, and competitive advantage. And, um, they have a generally a lower PE and they're trading at a you know a lower they're more of a value stock rather than a gross stock.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much. I think there's this uh thought process in the world of real estate that there's no way to get cash flow from the stock market. But clearly there is, but you know the cash flow rates are probably not what you would expect in real estate. You know, we're we're looking for some of us i I actually tend on the lower side of caring about cash flow um right now but you know you still want five six percent cash flow minimum most some people are only looking for deals over ten percent but if you are looking for a diversified portfolio that produces cash flow dividend stocks can provide the dual benefits that cash flowing real estate do which is the ability to generate some cash albeit probably less Um, in terms of cash on cash return, but still can appreciate and provide uh, appreciation as well. Um, Clay, this has been super helpful. We do have to go soon. But is there anything else you think our audience should know about the current state of the stock market or um, any opportunities you see? Yeah, I guess one thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, given all this
3: stuff with the Fed, um, two billionaires that have had a huge impact on TIP is obviously Warren Buffett, but another one's actually Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio is actually very popular um, for this thesis thesis he put together related to the long-term debt cycle. And kind of what I was talking about earlier, essentially the Fed's kind of in this really difficult situation where you know they want to tackle inflation, but they want to keep markets stable and you know they they just really have this big conundrum and what I will say is that I think we could be heading for a really inflationary time period you know they really want to tackle inflation now, but they might not have you know a good way to really do that um they can't they might not have a way to tackle that inflation problem without things really breaking down and we enter a really bad recession. So given what we've learned from Ray Dalio, we think, you know, money printing is likely to continue and that might mean a really inflationary time period and you might think about how you might position yourself if we enter that sort of time period and you know, I can't help but think about real estate investors they're in like the perfect situation for this type of scenario where they're taking on a loan and they have these, you know, it's likely a 30-year fixed loan or 15-year, whatever the loan term might be. But oftentimes it's a fixed mortgage. So you're making those fixed payments every month. So if you have high inflation, that means your payments are getting easier to pay off over time. You have, if you have good real estate, you likely have tenants occupying that real estate every single month. So rents are increasing over time because there's inflation. So that's just extra profit for you. Also, obviously your expenses are going to increase some as well, but um, I guess extra icing on the cake is what you real estate investors might call it is the appreciation. If there's an inflationary time period, the dollar gets worth, you know, becomes worth less over time. It might be a different currency for you given you're in Europe, depending on where <laughs> you're, depending on where you're investing. Um, but you know, the dollar's getting worth less Becoming worth less over time. So that means the, the appreciation of real estate. So it's just a really good um, scenario for real estate investors, I think, given they're buying and holding quality properties. Um, and then the same thing kind of applies to quality um, individual stocks. You know, the great companies are able to increase their prices over time, they're able to, um, they have that pricing power to be sort of an inflation hedge and help, help them weather through that storm.
0: Clay, that was awesome. I wasn't expecting a a real estate investing pitch from you, but I certainly appreciate it. This has been super helpful. And uh, I think on behalf of our our audience who might not be as familiar with this topic, um, this has been um, a great primer and helps understand the, the state of the, the current stock market and the economy as a whole. If people want to learn more about the stock market or you, Clay, where can they do that?
3: Yeah, I host the Millennial Investing Podcast. Uh, that's the name of the show. It's under The Investor's Podcast Network as the company. Uh, they have two different um, shows under their network. Um, My co-host, Robert Leonard, actually has a real estate show as well. It's called Real Estate 101. So he hosts a show that's released on Mondays. Then I host a show on the Millennial Investing feed that we release on Tuesdays and Thursdays.
0: Awesome. Great. Yeah. I was actually chatting with Robert earlier today and hopefully we're going to have him on the show at some point too, because he seems like a a great investor to connect with. Clay, thank you so much. If you want to learn more, check out Clay's podcast. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, David.
2: can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death
0: For the second part of our episode today, I am joined by Kathy Fecky, James Daynard, and Henry Washington to talk about what everything we just learned from Clay means for aspiring and active real estate investors. Henry, what do you think of the conversation with Clay? No, I enjoyed it, man.
4: Um uh, here's why I enjoyed it. One, uh, he was a bigger fan of real estate than I thought he was going to be. So that's awesome.
0: Totally. <laughs> I thought he was going to just be slamming on real estate the whole time, but he's kind of supported us.
4: Absolutely. I love the way he, he kind of summed up, um, the, the, the economic market that we're in and that we may see an inflationary period, um, uh, continue and, the best hedge in his eyes for doing that. He felt like real estate investors were in kind of the best position um, given that economic environment, because we've talked about it many times as real estate being an amazing hedge against inflation. So that's comforting to hear in a world of not comforting news every day. (laughs) Um, And I also, you know, there was a lot of reinforcement around because, you know, I get questions a lot around you know, real estate versus the stock market versus crypto. And where should I be putting my money? And should I be investing in any of them? Because they all seem to not be doing great based on some sort of outsider's perspective. And uh the theme that I heard was um, long term investing, no matter your market or or investment platform seems to be what people should be looking at is you buy things that you feel like, A, are good companies or are good properties, and you buy them when you feel like the market conditions best suit you, and then you hold those things for the long term, and you see the trajectory of the stock market. If you, t- if you take a zoomed out look at the stock market over the last you know 50 years, you're going to see a growth, right? Same thing with real estate. And so just it's, you know, be smart about your entries, buy things that um, you feel like are valuable that fit your investing strategy, and then hold those great things. And you should see a decent return.
0: That's great input. Yeah, it seems like what the, the same foundational principles hold true, whether you're talking about rental property investing or holding on to a good stock, it's really about long term growth. And I know that in the stock market people do day trade or swing trade during good times maybe that's not true right now and they should be focusing on those principles like like clay said James what did you take away from the conversation
5: you know it that at the end of the day investors are just looking for the same types of investment engines you know it was as he walked through like the simplicity of the stock market and just like the basic investment engines it's just so similar to real estate in general it Where I think it comes, you know, that there's the growth stocks that are just like flipping properties. There's the dividend stocks or like holding properties, and so you can do, you know, like for me as an investor, I'm I'm doing buy and hold, I'm doing development, I'm doing fix and flip, and I kind of have this pie chart I work with of how I want to work my capital, and it's really no different than what they do in the stock market, Um, you know, and and it's amazing that they're all so quarterly. I mean, they're all tied together so so dramatically. It's it. You know, with the stocks, like what he was talking about with the Fed and how they printed too much money and how much these growth stocks increased rapidly, it was the same things with flips. Like flips did the exact same thing. Like as the Fed printed more money, these things grew so so quickly, and so everybody has been crushing it the last you know couple years. And now everyone's trying to also figure out what's that magic portfolio? Where do you put your money? How do you grow it steadily? Um, and that the gross stocks or those flip properties are going to be harder to do in in the near future. But, you know, the biggest takeaway I had was at the end of the day, we're just investors buying different types of assets and we're all trying to beat inflation. And, you know, there's tons of different ways that you can cut up your your investments. It's a matter of what you want to do and how much risk you want to have.
0: Yeah, I love the parallel. He did really make it simple. I, I sometimes feel like I know something about the stock market and I'm quickly reminded that I don't know anything about it. <laughs> uh, but he did really make it understandable in a way that you can relate to, like, you were just saying, like, there are flips and growth stocks, there's different levels of risk. And it seems like when monetary policy was so easy recently, like, just like it was in real estate, people were just taking risks. And now people are becoming more risk averse. And, you know, it's easy in the stock market to sell something when you become risk averse. And that's why prices can fall so much faster, relatively to real estate. Kathy, what about you? What do you think of the conversation with Clay?
6: Well, it just reminded me that, you know, there's a big difference between active and passive investing. And a lot of what we talk about here and at Bigger Pockets is active investing. But when you've got people, lots of people who are busy with their, the job that they're doing, the stock market exists for them because it's really passive, right? Um, and, and you can have somebody manage that for you if you don't have the time to study it. Like I, I wouldn't. Um, today, obviously, there's a lot of options that didn't exist when I was, uh, you know, in my 20s, where you could just go on your phone and and you're all of a sudden you've bought a stock or sold a stock. It's it's really easy to do today, uh, but the bottom line is stocks are investing in businesses. So if you pick a business that you believe in or that's relevant, it's got to stay relevant. So like any any investment. It's so important to to pay attention if you don't have somebody managing it for you because big companies that seem steady can become obsolete when new technology wipes them out. You know, there was a time when we were really, well, look, look at Net, Netflix, for example. They were able to, uh, you know, adapt with the times. But think of all the companies that went under who didn't. You know, Netflix went to streaming and they they really, you know, Nailed it. Although I don't know if they're making any profit and I wouldn't necessarily (laughs) invest there because I, I would need somebody to manage my stocks because I don't have the time to study.
0: Do you, do you invest in the stock market though?
6: yeah we do a little because we wanted to play with the new things that are out there you know and then just buy <laughs> stocks on our phone and see what people are doing and in uh, in 2020 it just made sense you know we were like oh so many solid companies were were down so we bought the dip and and that worked out really well and even even with stocks going down, uh, this year, we we made money. So that, that was just fun. I look at it more like a gamble, a fun little gamble that we were trying to learn. But if I were going to put millions in the stock market, you better believe I would have someone manage that for me who has an excellent track record. And that's the same in real estate. I, I feel like sometimes passive investors... Get snubbed a little bit because they're you know they have to trust someone else. They're busy or they're retired and they don't have time to be active. And that's why syndications can be so great because it's it's like a stock. It's usually in an LLC, which is you're buying a, a unit versus a, a stock because it's you know again in, a, in an LLC. But. It's the same idea. You're trusting someone else to manage this investment for you because they know it better, they have more experience, and they have the time. And maybe you don't. That's what I've been doing for years. And I, I sometimes see in the in the comments, you know, uh, you know, why would someone buy a quote unquote turnkey property? Well, because they're busy. You know, I, I have people from all over the world that that can't come to America to do the things that that you know that active investors do there's lots of passive investors out there that need the stock market that need syndications that need turnkey property
0: Totally yeah there's I mean bigger pockets was basically invented because most people don't want to take the time to learn about other asset classes it's just like sort of the default right you you grow up and you're taught the way to invest is the stock market you don't even really necessarily learn that there are other ways to invest. And I think that's changing largely because of bigger pockets and crypto and what you all are doing. Um, But yeah, I think that's a really interesting point um, and about how syndications and passive real estate investing is sort of a good alternative for people who might have heard this episode and think, yeah, no, stock market's not for me. (laughs) Henry, what is your personal experience and exposure to the stock market?
4: Yeah, um, I started investing in the stock market uh late well probably early 20 late 2020 early 2021 and um i did it uh, like a lot of people we were home during the pandemic and i found myself with more time to research things than i than i typically had and so I had also started a side hustle um, that started to produce income, more income than I was expecting it to produce. And so I just I had cash sitting in a bank account and that scared me. (laughs) And so I wanted to put that somewhere um, where I could put it fairly quickly and yield a, and, and get a return on it and so like with real estate yes i could have put it to work in real estate but not as quickly right i got to go out and i got to find the good deal right to put the money into and those sorts of things and so i started to learn about the stock market and what i learned was there's a lot to learn <laughs> just, <laughs> just just like with real estate and so i wanted to be as simple and as hands-off as possible um while still managing it myself, and so um, I just I just decided to buy about two to three companies that I believe in, and I would dollar cost average into those. They talked a little bit about that on the show what dollar cost averaging is and so I dollar cost averaged into two to three stocks that I believed in and uh, individual companies and then as well as two to three ETFs. And I haven't veered from that strategy. The plan is to hold them for at least 10 years. And so I don't pay attention to when it's up and when it's down Because I haven't hit my time to look at whether I should liquidate those or not. And so I just, it literally takes the emotion out of it for me. If things are tanking, the news doesn't scare me because my plan is to hold and I will just stick to that plan regardless of what the market's doing.
0: I am, I am surprised. Honestly, Henry and Kathy, you both pick individual stocks. I thought you were, all three of you would say, Oh, I just put in an index fund, or I just use Betterman or something like that, or one of those robot advisors. But I, I, respect it. But I guess if you're just treating it as something fun, Kathy, you would just pick something because that is more fun. <laughs> um, James, are you the same way? Do you pick? Do you picks pick individual stocks? I, I do. Unfortunately, I do. Uh,
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: that, those. One of the worst things I ever did was download the, the trading app on my phone. Because it's like, it is, like Kathy said, it's kind of gambling for me. It's just like, a game. It, it Yeah, they make it into a game. It's fun. Yeah. It is a game that I'm not good at. That's what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I'm a buy and hold guy, but I'm also a flipper. And on the short term, I'm not good at being patient. And I like buying, like I, I get, yeah, I, I would say... I have made the mistake, and this is the funny thing is when people come into my office as a real estate broker, I always tell my clients, "Don't buy what you don't know because you get it's high risk, right? And if you don't really understand it, learn about it, go to Bigger Pockets and get educated, and then because if you don't, if you make uneducated decisions, you can have some major consequences out of that. And and then soon as I tell people that, I turn around, get on my little app, and I start buying stuff and selling stuff, and it just goes, <laughs> it goes red, but it's. Uh, I picked the individual stocks. I have a little bit of, you know, I have a self-directed IRA. I did roll into one that's in in just more of an index fund, works for steady growth. I kind of go that route. Uh, It was a very small IRA. Other than that, I I have slowly pulled my cash out of my app. And uh, what I have learned is Henry is completely right, buying the long term, like buying and steadily growing to the right move because I don't know what I'm doing. Like if I'm a flipper and I get into the market, or I'm a buying whole person, I get into start flipping and I haven't learned my processes, it's not gonna go that well. And if I don't know it, I go for steady growth um, because other than that, I'm just making uneducated. Actually, a good buddy of mine, he's a financial planner, he just said, he goes, what you're doing is no different than gambling. And you might as well have more fun and go to Vegas. <laughs> He's like, because you're sitting in your bed playing on your app when you could be having this great time in Vegas. He goes, y- and your odds are better there than what you're doing right now. <laughs> and, so,
6: and you get free drinks.
5: Free drinks. But I have definitely got some tax write-offs this year from the trading app. And that,
4: that's it. You took some <laughs> losses. Yeah, because, because
5: <laughs> <laughs> I took a bad one. I went up against Elon Musk and that was a bad idea.
0: Oh, I I sold my Tesla stock way too early. It was a huge mistake.
5: (laughs) Oh, oh, you know what's a bigger mistake? Shorting the Tesla stock.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. I didn't do that bad. (laughs) So I actually saw something. We all mentioned like going on these trading apps that make it super easy. And I saw this study that showed that there is a correlation, a negative correlation between how frequently you look at your portfolio and your returns. (laughs) So it's basically like they get you to open it. And the more you open it, the worse you do because you're just, like Henry said, you're supposed to buy it for long term, unless you are a super sophisticated like day trader and you like really know what you're doing there. Uh, but I think that, I thought that was super interesting. Um, so one thing that I sort of started looking through old Bigger Pockets forums to look at questions about the stock market before we recorded this episode, and one thing that people um, have asked is, should they put money into the stock market? to save up for a deal like maybe you've done one deal you're waiting for that second deal you're putting money in like is would you put it in the stock market have you ever done that or is that something you would consider kathy
6: oh no i haven't done that i really like you know talking about passive investing i would prefer to do notes and lend to flippers who have a a track record because to me that's a solid safe return it's secured generally to the property And and be three or four month hold. That's where I put it and generally get about 10 to 12% that I can really count on. And I don't have to worry. I just, you know, one of the things they said is we're talking about the Fed. And when the Fed makes decisions, it affects the stock market a lot. And we have no control over that. We don't know what they're gonna do and and sometimes they don't get it right. And and you can see like people in the stock market follow every single word that is said at any Fed meeting right. because they know that then it's gonna matter in a moment. Uh, so I just don't have that kind of um I just I, I, I don't wanna be nervous all the time. Uh, so i I had a roommate who was a day trader and he would just be depressed all the time like he it was like bipolar he'd be up but he'd be down I, I can't do that so something like just lending that's where I put my short-term money
0: that's fantastic advice because I I honestly have put money into the stock market between deals because it's more liquid um, but that's obviously when it's easier to do that in a bull market that you have confidence is going to continue like the last couple of years because there's sure short-term fluctuations but you wait a week and sell it probably do okay right now i mean according to clay he thinks there's more downside risk in the stock market so right now just parking it somewhere to buy something in six months you could come away with less Um, so definitely a little bit riskier James, do you have anything you do to like in between deals or anything you recommend to people to like Kathy said, um, for parking your money uh, in between investments into real estate?
5: Yeah, I think when you're making that decision, the first thing that you want to really look at is, you know, as I'm, if I'm trying to get to buy into another deal, I need to figure out how much money do I need to buy that deal. So I have to figure out what kind of deal do I want to buy? How much capital do I need for that? Is it a cheap, single family house where I can put very little money down lever it up and get most back is it a multi-family where I can leave more money in and then based on that you have to go you know the stock market is going to make me 5% or 6% for the year is that going to grow fast enough for me to get to that down payment and many times for me it doesn't get there fast enough and so you have to kind of move your money around into higher yield items. Like Kathy said, You know, I do a lot of hard money lending. We, I'm buying and selling notes all the time. I'm doing short-term loans. Uh, I like it because I know how to underwrite it correctly and I can mitigate my risk. If I'm buying that stock and it's going down, or there's a probability it's gonna go down if I'm buying it, um, I don't know that as well as I know underwriting. So, you know, for me, I'm a real estate professional that's actively in the market, so I can look at things. I can evaluate the risk on those a lot better, you know, as far as lending on a house than I can evaluating a stock. And so, if you want to grow that nest egg, you want to do what you're good at because you don't want that to go down. And as an investor, you want to evaluate what are you good at? What is your talent? And then I would invest in those sectors. Like if you're good at shorting stocks, then go short some stocks and try to earn a little bit more money that way. If you're not good at it, but you want steady yield, you know, the one big thing you wanna do is make sure you're beating inflation or staying with inflation right now. Because if you are saving up for that, that next deal and your money's going down every year, that's a problem. And so depending on your talents, you want to pick the right engines and either just mitigate risk by not getting eaten alive by inflation or if you want to grow faster, which I'm a fast person, I'm always looking for those high pop, high profit things or high yield because I'm trying to grow that nest egg bigger so I can go buy more. And I'm always about trying to get that, that, that nest egg as big as big as possible. And so the higher the yield, which are short term notes, flips, um, shorting stocks, uh, could be crypto bubbles, those things, those growth, that's what's going to get you a little faster. But you have to be comfortable with risk, just like anything, you can lose it as quick as you can make it. And so, you know, you want to kind of evaluate yourself and then make the right investments.
0: It's really interesting, because it sounds like all three of you are sort of saying that the traditional idea that you should diversify your portfolio, at least across different asset classes is not how you look at your portfolio and how you allocate capital to your investments. Henry, I saw you laughing. What do you think about that?
4: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. So I would say only less than 10% of my net worth is invested in uh, the stock market and crypto combined. Um, and so I don't have a ton of my my you know wealth in those markets. Um, because i just love real estate i understand real estate for all the reasons james just said like if i need money quick i know how to do that in real estate better than i know how to do that in any other type of market if i need money long term i know how to do that in real estate better than i know how to do that in the stock market or crypto or anywhere else and so i am going to diversify my portfolio within real estate first because i understand Most investment strategies in the real estate realm, well, whereas uh, in the stock market, I understand like one strategy, (laughs) which, (laughs) and it's not a strategy that returns me returns me you know tons and tons of dollars month over month. It's a long term play, and I don't even know if that worked yet because it hasn't been ten years of me holding those stocks, right? So um, I'm 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 putting like you said, uh, during the interview, it's putting the average to work for you. If I zoom out 10 years, I can see that there's probably going to be growth within that 10 years based on history in the stock market. And I'm betting that that continues over the next 10 years. It's just taking that the averages and putting them in my favor, you know, TBD on how well it works and or doesn't work. So if I need money quickly, I'm going to look I'm going to look within real estate, just like Kathy or James is to turn some money around quickly um, versus anywhere else.
0: Kathy, I'm curious, you know, with the people you work with, um, you you often, correct me if I'm wrong, raise money from, you know, a lot of passive investors. Are these, are, are a lot of just generally speaking, the people who invest with you primarily invested in other asset classes, and then they turn to you for real estate diversification? Or are these people who are like, Primarily real estate investors.
6: It kind of started with people who maybe sensed something was wrong. You know, our company started in 2003. So you could kind of see, well, this might not turn out well. And, and people who could sense that. Uh, wanted to get their money out of the stock market and into something else that that just felt more stable. And at the time, we were helping people buy cash flow properties in Texas. That cat, you know, they were brand new and they cash flowed, and it made sense. So we had a lot of people self direct their IRAs, get it out of the market, buy these solid properties in Texas, and they didn't even feel that downturn um you know so that was exciting to be able to p- help people avert um, catastrophe and if you're in your 50s and 60s and 70s you're not taking risks um you know my my nephews take big risks they put they live in their cars. They have. They make over a hundred thousand dollars, and they they totally gamble with it. And they, you know, my sweet nephew, he lost all of it because he betted against some things and it, he was wrong. Uh, but that's okay. He'll just. He's young. He's in his early twenties. But when you're in your fifties and sixties, you don't want to start over. So a lot of these people just have saw what happened in two thousand eight are starting to get the jitters again. Just don't want to lose everything again. So when we can show them, look, we we have syndications where you're secured in a, a, you know, first position or, you know, you're, we're, there's low LTVs on this. When when we can show them it's a, a hard asset that cash flows and is in a growth market that feels better to people who are looking at retirement or well into retirement. And do
0: you, do you see it as risky yourself being almost primarily invested in real estate? Almost entirely, I should say. Almost entirely. Um, you know,
6: the biggest risk I've taken in real estate is not listening to myself. <laughs> <Honestly>. <laughs> you know, I give all this advice and then, you know, sometimes don't take it. But a lot of the syndications we first did were slam dunks because we were buying in, in 2010. know, yeah, everything was so cheap. Um, then we, we you know we've been very much into land development and that has been highly challenged and doesn't cash flow. So I you know i I'm not looking for more ground up development deals, even though I'm sure you know people have made lots of money in them. And that tends to be a little bit more risky. So just as a passive investor, you just kind of got to know which investments are riskier than others. If you're going to go into an apartment, say that's a c class apartment and it has a deep deep renovation there's a little bit little bit more risk there because you're renovating something we we had a lot of challenges with something like that that we did whereas right. you're going to buy more of a b or a class newer property that only needs a little bit of renovation and is in a really good part of town that's going to be less risk especially if the the loan is lower so if if the ltv is going to be you know, i have I have older investors who they don't want to invest in anything where the LTV is over 65%. And they just don't want risk, and that's mm-hmm. fine. you know. Um, and so that's a lot of what we focus on is we offer different things where it'll be just a lending fund at 60% LTV. That's You're not supposed to say safe, but that's pretty secure uh, versus the land development where I'll go into it saying, look, this is risky, but the return could be really amazing.
0: That's great advice. I mean yeah, I mean within every asset class, you know, crypto, stock, real estate, there are levels of risk. And even if you want to pick one, if you want to invest entirely in real estate, you can diversify your portfolio across types of real estate investing, just like you can do in the stock market too. I don't know enough about crypto to really comment on, on strategies there, but I, um, I'm i with James. My, my, my crypto record looks like James' stock record, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I will just say before we go, I, I guess I take a little bit more diverse uh, approach here. I'd say probably... of my net worth, 30% maybe is in the stock market. And I honestly, I think it's mostly because of FOMO. I don't want to like miss out if the stock market like (laughs) goes on some run. Um, But I do generally, at least over the last few years, have like put money into the stock market, tried to let it improve while I'm waiting between deals. But that's because the stock market was like clearly in a bull market over the last decade. And it was pretty relatively safe to just buy into index funds. So there are definitely different approaches to it. it. sounds like the three of you almost entirely in real estate, but I do think there's a good amount of uh, smaller investors, myself being one of them, who uh, do a little bit more diversification because I am, you know, a lot of passive, just like Kathy was saying, I have a full-time job um, and like to look for different ways to invest passively. Okay. Well, thank you all three of you for that. That was super helpful. And if you all listening to this, like this kind of episode, we'd love to hear from you. Um, You can find any of us on Instagram, but I think the really good, what we're really looking for is, are these types of uh, shows where we look at other asset classes or alternative types of investments through the lens of real estate investing are, are helpful to you. We would love to know. So please reach out to us. Before we go, we do wanna go back to our real estate roots. We actually have a deal scenario, but first let's take a quick break and move to our crowdsource. Today's deal scenario for our crowdsource is contributed from the BiggerPockets forums by a member named Ryan Williams. And Ryan says that this scenario is very common in his market, which is Denver. And he says that multifamily prices are very high. For the most part, they don't cash flow with just traditional rentals. If you had the capital to swing an initial loss or get close to breaking even, is trusting future appreciation and rent growth enough to make purchasing these high-priced multifamilies a good deal for investors? James, let's start with you. What do you make of the situation? Um,
5: I personally, I think my first question would be, is how much liquidity do you have? to to kind of feed this in engine and it, it it is that going to prevent you from doing other investments in general I know in 2008 I made a big mistake and bought a lot of properties just for appreciation of long-term investments and wasn't considering the cash flow as much it was more about like accumulating wealth and property and that hurt at the end of the day because when we go into any kind of any kind of recession the economy slows down and things happen and the, every time it slows down, the, the negative cash flow can really hurt and it can snowball very quickly. And so you wanna make sure that minimum, if you're gonna buy that way, I would have at least 12 months of mortgage payments set aside to cover that, that, uh, that gap. I personally do not buy assets unless they are paying me. It, it, Cause it, for me it's a liability, it's not an asset. I need to generate cash flow off of it. If I'm buying something for appreciation and then I'm not making income on it, then it's a turn. I'm, I make an income by selling that property at that point. Um, I won't feed the beast. I want the beast to feed me. And, um, you know, especially, you know, as you kind of go forward, you know, as in your investment career, it really depends on where you're also at. When I was younger, I had a lot more appetite for getting higher equity position properties. Rather than cash flow, because I was really trying to springboard that wealth, but big profit hits, then I could reinvest that into more stable investments. But be careful buying on appreciation. You know, you want it's right now, we're probably not going to have a whole lot of it over the next 24 months. And so you're going to be just feeding an asset to where you can get better growth somewhere else. So, you know, uh, make sure that the, the assets are paying you or they're not assets. Another thing you can do is maybe just forget, you know, people off, oftentimes they hear like, I got to go buy multifamily because that's what I hear online. That doesn't mean that's the right strategy for you. If, you know, you might want to look at a different asset class that can pay you to get you going, get you into real estate, gives you an investment, and you don't have to feed it. You know, like single family housing, we're starting to see good cash flow on those again because the rates have spiked, things are slowing down, and now we can kind of get into the, the, the right type of deal. So, you know, look at different types of assets and explore your other options rather than just being fixated on one specific type in a specific market that might not be right for you. That's good advice. I
6: have so many questions about that. (laughs) All right. Well,
0: Kathy, I did want to, I wanted to bring this to you next because you just gave a great answer about the spectrum of risk in real estate investing. Where does this one fall on your spectrum?
6: It's so funny because I'm I'm in California and I go to these groups and people are buying like that all the time. They're buying a, where are you going to find something here that cash flows? I watch people do it and they seem to make money. It's not my thing, but California has been known for appreciation over time. So people take that risk and they just assume that rents are going to go up and and values will go up over time. Again, it's not it's not for me. Um in, in Denver, what I there's so many questions I would have about this property. Is it new? Is it old? Does it need fixing? Is it, you know, are you going to be like James said, are you going to be feeding it? Um so it's actually going to be severely negative cash flow over time. Or is it newer in an up and coming area? Are you going to get bonus depreciation? That's the big one. If you have a tax problem, this apartment might be your saving grace. It might be the thing that makes you so much money just from the tax benefits alone, if if it qualifies for the bonus depreciation. So I would look into that. But uh, my first reaction was doesn't sound like a great deal to me. It sounds like a headache. But again, if it's a really well lo- located property that doesn't need a lot of work it could make sense so you know too many factors there that we just don't know the answers to if it's an old building and not in a growing area and it just breaks even i would run and i'd run fast <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right henry what's the last word on this
4: yeah so my, my gut's telling me i i wouldn't buy that and and here's why uh for exactly what james said you're typically going to have to feed that for a while. And so even if you rent it out, there's some, there's some additional you'll have to add to that mortgage payment every month since it's not going to cash flow. And then you have to consider your maintenance, your taxes, your insurance, all the uh, your vacancy, all these other things that are going to cost you money every month. So all that leads me to believe if that's a strategy that you're looking at because you're banking on the appreciation long-term, then you probably have some cash sitting in your bank account, right? And if you've got some cash sitting in your bank account, I always tell people like, yes, you can't find some cash flowing multifamilies on the market in a lot of areas of the country, but you can find them off market. And so your strategies are like. It's not that there aren't properties for you to buy it's that just you haven't figured out how to go find those properties that meet those that criteria that you're looking for yet and if you're in a position where you've got a day job you don't have the time to go figure out how to find those properties then and you do have that cash which i'm assuming you do then do exactly what kathy talked about earlier and partner with somebody who already does that for you? So find somebody who has a fund who's going out and they're finding these off-market properties that do hit the numbers and get you the return, and you can put that money to work in that fund that still produces you monthly monthly cash flow. and some in some some funds will pay you monthly, some funds will pay you quarterly. Right? Like so, do your research and find a fund who already does the hard part for you and goes out and finds those good deals. And you can get a return on your investment on the money you have sitting in your account all through real estate without you having to go and buy something that's going to cost you money month over month. And then as you build up that capital, maybe things change in the market and you can start to find more cash flowing assets later. Um, You know, real estate's just like any any other thing you're going to buy, right? Like somebody's figured out how to go buy that thing at a discount, right? If you want to buy cars and you say, well, cars are crazy overpriced right now. Well, dealers are buying them cheap, right? They figured out the way to go buy cheap property, right? So it's, it's just, you've got you've to find that method to finding the deals in the, in the type of product you're looking to buy. And if you don't have the time to do that, then leverage somebody who does that you, that you trust.
0: All right. That's great advice for Ryan, who is mostly investing in Denver. So Ryan, hopefully this is helpful to you. This is great advice. Generally agree with all of you. I think if this is one of your first deals, that is a lot of risk that I would take on. If, like Kathy said, this is part of you know a tax strategy or part of a much broader, more sophisticated portfolio strategy, there could be ways that this works. But if this is if this is relatively new to you, one of your first properties, I think that's going to be a little too risky for at least for me. All right, Henry, Kathy, James, thank you all so much for being here. We we uh, threw you all a curveball, made you talk about the stock market. You all handled it very well. So thank you very much. And if you are listening to this and have any feedback for us on the show, make sure to reach out to us on Instagram. I'm at the Data Deli. James, what's your handle? It is J. Dane Flips. Henry. At the Henry Washington. And Kathy.
6: At Kathy Fedke.
0: All right, thank you, everyone. We will see you again soon. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett, editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub, and a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show On the Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire bigger pockets community. And there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to, to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all of this, what I'm describing here is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're gonna be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.